Praise ye the Lord. For it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart. And he binds up their wounds. He tells the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power, and his understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praise upon the harp to our God. Let's join our hearts in prayer together, let's pray. Our gracious and tender God, we thank you that your understanding is infinite. Nothing that puzzles us ever puzzles yourself. We thank you for your kind hand that heals the brokenhearted and raises up the meek. We pray that if we should be entertaining wickedness in our hearts, you would cast it from us, for we would not want to be cast down by you for our wickedness. We thank you for the wonderful Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the forgiveness of sins that there is in his shed blood. We thank you for Calvary. We sometimes sing that you would bring its scenes before us. We can picture it now. Our Saviour, lonely, deserted, hanging on the cursed tree, and yet being able to cry with triumph and joy, it is finished. And all his sorrow and pain would be over, and so soon after that, he was raised from the dead, glorious with his eternal resurrection body. We thank you that he is seated in heaven at your right hand and we can come into your presence through him. Gracious Father, Son and Holy Spirit, triune God, have mercy upon us and bless us each we pray and lift our hearts in praise to you for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to join together and sing our first hymn, uh, number 333, 333, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, Zion City of Our God, 
read from the Word of God, from the book of Isaiah and chapter 5. Isaiah and chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 and reading uh, from verse 1. hear God's word. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. He fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns, I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, said the Lord of hosts, of a truth many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and a seed of Homer shall yield an ephah. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them, and the harp and the viol and the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, nor consider the operations of his hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge and their honourable men are famished and their multitude <coughs> dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down and the mighty man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God, that is holy, shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. Woe to them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin as if with a cart rope, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink which testify the wicked for reward 
which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be rottenness and their blossom shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people, and he has stretched forth his hand against them, and has smitten them. And the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from far, and will hiss unto them from the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed, swiftly. None shall be weary nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken. Whose arrows are sharp, and all their bows bent. Their horses' hooves shall be counted like flint, and their wills like a whirlwind. Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey. And they shall carry it away safe. And none shall deliver it. And in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one look unto the land, behold darkness and sorrow. And the light is darkened in the heavens thereof. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank him for it. I'm going to uh, join and sing together our second hymn, number 601. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. Number 601.
to be with you. And I'm sure we will all thank God for his welcome at his throne of grace. And so we'll come and join our hearts in prayer together. Uh, let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, what a wonderful thing it is for us to say, I find a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. And this friend is a friend who found us, who set his love upon us long before we ever found him. Indeed, we only found him because he sought us and found us. We thank you, gracious God, for your wonderful grace. We thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. We thank you for all that you have prepared for us in your love. Eye hasn't seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that you have prepared for those that love you. But you have granted us some glimpse of these things. By the gracious Spirit, in your holy word, the promises of heaven, you think of Jesus saying to the, the dying thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. We think of the paradise that was lost, the Garden of Eden with all its beauty and purity and cleanliness, the variety of colours, fragrances, fruits, and to crown it all the visitations of yourself in the evening where men could be at peace with you, Adam and Eve enjoying your presence. And there will be this paradise restored and beyond its first beauty, the beauty that could be forfeited by sin, but heaven can never be lost. Eternal joys, eternal pleasures, eternal presence of yourself, not just in the evening of the day, but constantly, eternally, intensely, wonderfully. Nothing to break that communion. Nothing to end our praises of you, nor to end our discovering more and more of you, the infinite God, and then we shall have minds that can think clearly without being clouded by sin. Hearts that could love without the distraction of alternative loves, lesser loves. But, oh, gracious God, what a thing it will be to have our hearts all taken up with yourself. To have nothing but your holiness, your beauty, your persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit thrilling us. We shall see the Lamb in all his glory, the Lamb as it had been slain, Rich wounds, yet visible above in beauty, glorified. We shall be humbled by the reminder that we had to be redeemed. But we shall glory in our Redeemer. We shall sing with the multitudes in heaven, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. To receive honour and power and glory and might and riches. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, gracious God, that there will be thousands upon thousands singing his praises with voices all in tune and hearts to match their voices. We thank you for these hopes that we have that are not clutching at straws. They are not empty, made-up stories. We have not followed cunningly devised myths. But we are following the truth of which Peter was an eyewitness on the mountain when Jesus was glorified in his presence. We have sung, gracious God, that we would want these hopes to nerve our faint endeavour. And so help us when we feel discouraged and despondent and the pressures of this present life 
and the darkness of this present world seems to eclipse and block out the light of heaven. Help us to see beyond the present darkness to the eternal light, the eternal hope, the certainty of life. We thank you for Jesus' words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then his assurance that there is this wonderful accommodation for all your people in heaven. And that he will most certainly come again and take us to be with himself. Oh, gracious Father, fill our hearts day by day with living hope. And help us to live by that hope. Help us to leave the sad sinfulness of this world and aspire in our own hearts and endeavors to the holiness and purity of heaven. Because whoever has this hope in Christ purifies himself even as he is pure. To be like him. We shall be like him. When he appears, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This Mortal shall be clothed with immortality, this corruptible with incorruption. We thank you, gracious God, for the certainty of these things. And ask that to our hearts that can so quickly be weighed down, you would give us wings of faith to soar into sweet meditation upon you. Our gracious God, we have read in your word these numerous woes and the description of the lives of people on this world. For possessions, for pleasure, for intoxication, for expansion of earthly things, for wickedness and scorn of your law And we know that there are so many around us who pursue exactly these things and are unaware of the woe that they are weaving for themselves. We pray that in your great mercy, as you have had mercy upon us, so you would have mercy upon multitudes yet and open their eyes May your gospel be given power even this day up and down this land to open people's eyes to see the wretchedness of sin and the beauty of the one Savior from sin. We pray that Jesus will be glorified up and down this land from pulpits in conversations as people open your word to read it. May Jesus be made known. May your spirit the spirit of truth who bears witness to him, be active. Gracious Father, it is your promise and for you to send the Spirit that he might glorify your Son whom you love. And so, gracious Father, for love of your Son, we pray you, send your Spirit. For your grace towards sinners, we pray, send your Spirit that he might glorify Jesus in the hearts and minds of men and women, that they might believe upon him in their hearts and confess him with their tongues, that they might join multitudes of your people singing the praises of Jesus. We ask that the praise of Jesus might not be in word only today, that there might be in the congregations more than just delight in singing to music, but that there might be music from the heart, singing and making melody in the heart to yourself. Surprise people this day, gracious God, so that instead of attending churches where they love to sing without thinking what it is they're singing, surprise them. Fill their hearts 
with a wonder at what they're singing. And may familiar words become like arrows of light, illuminating and so may the praises become instructive of your people even this day. And so have mercy. Have mercy upon us. Grant us your blessing here as we worship together. We pray for Gary as he's ministering in Sri Lanka, that you would help him, encourage him, encourage him greatly. May he see your hand continuing in the work. And we do pray, our God, that you would be with Colin Lasham, wherever he is ministering, in the village, churches, we ask that you would help him. For your people here, guide and direct them. Grant them to see your hand of salvation, your arm of power and grace made bare, saving people and adding to their number precious redeemed souls. For we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, let's join and sing together our third uh, hymn, number 205. 200 and five. When I survey the wondrous cross. 203. Thank you very much, Zach. Thank you. 203. Got the right words, but the wrong number. 203. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. 203.
country uh, for that purpose. Uh, Luther had a good singing voice. A chorister boy in his youth, uh, singing to the enchantment of well, tradition, says Ursula Cotta, uh, who then took him in and uh, helped him while he was uh, studying. Songs are wonderful things. They can be for worship and praise of God. They can be meditations where an aid to understanding and thanksgiving and praise and Christian fellowship. And our text is part of a teaching song. It should help us understand uh, what the will of the Lord is and uh, it should help us with our Christian fellowship and thanksgiving. It's part of a song, uh, verse 1. Now I will sing a song to my well-beloved a song of my well-beloved touching his vineyard. The uh, premier performance of this song uh, was given to the person for whom it was written. I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. And the song is all about uh, the Lord and the Lord's goodness to Judah and different lengths. And verse 1 of the song, not the, not the chapter, verse 1 uh, of the song tells us about the location, the preparation, the transplantation, the protection, the production and the inspection of the vine. So, the location of the, the vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Uh, we think of the vineyards that they've planted. Uh, is it the Rothselli Refkeni? Refkeni? Uh, the, the great vineyards on the South Downs, uh, south-facing uh, a wonderful location. I don't know what the quality of the wine is. I never tasted it. But uh, here, the vineyard is on a very fruitful hill, the location. The careful preparation of the ground. Uh, it gathered out all the stones from it. The transplantation of the vine. So he planted it with the choicest vine. Uh, so he's got a, chosen the vine and then he's planted this vine. He's transplanted it from where he got it and put it in the vineyard. And then the protection of the vine. He's put a fence all around the vineyard to start with and then he's got a tower in it to make sure that uh, there aren't people coming in uh, stealing the crop the production well he was anticipating the best of grapes it was a choice vine surely you get the choicest of grapes and then the inspection the beloved came looking for the best grapes, but all he found was wild grapes. So that's verse 1. Location, preparation, transplantation, protection, production, inspection. And then the second verse of the song. The invitation to the people of Judah and Jerusalem to come and assess the situation and reach a conclusion uh, with the Lord, a verdict about the vineyard. And there are two questions which are our text so the invitation, verse 3. O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. Two questions. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? And then the second question. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes? Why? Why did it do that? So two questions. And then uh, verse 3 of the song. The action of the Lord against his vineyard. Devastation. He's going to take down, break down, trample down the vineyard. So verse 4. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. It shall be eaten up. Break down the wall. And it shall be trodden down. And then in addition to that, there will be no pruning, no digging, no weeding, no watering. It will waste away. I will lay it waste 
It shall not be pruned, nor digged. There shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And then the, the final verse of this teaching song from Isaiah, the explanation of the parable. Israel is the vineyard. Judah is the vine that has been transplanted. Verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. He looked for judgment. This is the kind of fruit he was looking for. The, the grapes, the choice grapes. Judgment and righteousness. But the sour grapes that he found were just oppression and anguish. So that's the song. Now, uh, we need to transpose the song. Uh, often, uh, I think when Dick Saunders was doing his Bible conventions in Eastbourne and they were singing maybe To God Be the Glory or something like that, uh, the, the, the piano or the organ would uh, go up a key for the last verse. So everyone's sort of building up to the last verse and it will be transposed up, up, and then you'd sing it higher uh, in the last verse. There's this transpos transposing of music. Uh, you may need to do that if you're transposing the music from the piano to the clarinet or the trumpet because they're different keys that they work in. Or you may have to transpose it because a, a person's voice can't sing that low. You know, some of our hymns are set to very low uh, it's a bit difficult, or they're set too high. You have to transpose it to match the person's voice. And here we need to transpose this song from the Old Testament, upper key or two, to the New Testament. And here it's sung, as it were, uh, in the New Testament key. I'm sure the Lord Jesus Christ meditated upon this song. I'm sure he had a good voice. Uh, we're told that <clears throat> when they'd finished the, the supper in the upper room, when they had sung a hymn, they left. What a thing it would have been to have heard Jesus singing. And to, to have heard him singing those Passover songs that have been Psalm 118. He would have sung those and come out. And I'm sure his mind as he left the upper room was about this uh, passage and ones like it because he no sooner left the upper room than he says to his disciples I am the true vine John 15 Judah that's the sort of pictorial vine there's a choice vine but I'm the true vine I'm the choicest one I'm the most uh, chosen one I'm the perfect one I'm the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ said, and my father is the husbandman. And as we transpose Isaiah's vineyard song, from Judah being transplanted out of Egypt into the choice prepared land of Canaan at the right time, we transpose it up a key to Jesus being the chosen one. You remember uh, in Exodus, God says to, to Pharaoh, you know, my firstborn, Israel is my firstborn. I'm going to call my son out of uh, Egypt and take him to the promised land. And the Lord Jesus Christ is God's son in an eternal uh, sense and Hosea says out of Egypt have I called my son I've transplanted my son out of Egypt and that's applied then in the New Testament to Jesus, Jesus is taken out of Egypt, you remember the wise men how they left for their own country a different way, not going back to Herod because Herod was going to kill the baby Jesus so Joseph is told take them down to Egypt and then out of Egypt, God brings his son up to Nazareth. And he's brought up there. Judah was the vine producing oppression and anguish. 
But when God looks at his son, Jesus, whom he's brought out of Egypt to Nazareth, and he sees him living in Galilee and then ministering, what does God the Father see in the life of Jesus? Nothing but the purest fruit, as it were. Righteousness all of the time. The purity of it. Not oppression, but relief. How Jesus brought relief. Not anguish, but peace to so many people. And from the Old Testament, uh, people who brought forth these kind of fruits. The, the people of the New Testament, God's people of the New Testament, Christians from all nationalities, people who believe upon Jesus, they are to bring forth fruit. They are the branches in the vine. So transposing the song. You might think, well, is it legitimate to do that? To sort of take it up a key from the Old Testament to the New Testament? It most certainly is legitimate to do that, as uh, some of the verses I've mentioned. But Psalm 80, verse 8, Psalm 80, verse 14 and 15, Exodus 4, 22, Hosea 10, 1, Hosea 11, 1. They all speak of the vineyard, and they're all used in the New Testament to speak of the New Testament people of God. It's supported by Jesus in his parable about the vineyard. Matthew 21, verse 33. His parable of the vineyard is an expansion of Isaiah's song from Isaiah 5. So you remember in the parable, the Lord Jesus Christ says of a certain man who had a, a vineyard and he let it out to tenants and he sent his servants to collect the, the revenue, the the, the, the produce, but they killed the servants. And eventually he sent his son to the vineyard to collect the produce, but the people renting it rejected the son, killed the son. And you remember the verdict of what the owner would do. He would come and destroy it. It's just an expansion of Isaiah's song. So there's a true transposition from the Old Testament song here in Isaiah to the New Testament reality of Jesus, the true vine, his people being the branches. Now, we want to focus on our text and the transposing of the text from its Old Testament context to its New Testament and its application to us. Our text, Isaiah 5 verse 4. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked, it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. Those are the, the two questions. And we need to ask them in relation to the Christian church as the vineyard, as the, the vine branches joined to the vine. What could, what more could God have done than he has done? The first question becomes a source of wonder to us. What more could God have done? The answer to it should lead us to wonder and worship. And then the second question becomes a question of challenge or a source of challenge to us let's ponder the first question what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it you think of uh, how the church has been brought about how the vine the true vine has come about and how the branches are in the vine what more could God have done uh, to bring this about than he has done? The, the transplanting of the vine. He planted it with the choice vine, the song says there. He's taken uh, Judah and the people of Israel out of Egypt and he's brought them and planted them in the promised land uh, where they're to live under his law and rule. 
But that's just a picture of the New Testament uh, situation with the church. That we've been transplanted. Not out of an Egypt, physically, but we've been transplanted out of the kingdom of darkness and planted into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. We give thanks unto the Father who's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. It's the most wonderful uh, exodus where God uh, takes us out of the, the tyranny of Satan's reign and kingdom and brings us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And he does it by not a Passover lamb, but by the death of his own son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What could have been done more for my vine than I have done? You think of the, the, all that God had to do to bring about this transplanting of us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. He had to send his son into the world. He had to uh, send the spirit upon the Virgin Mary so that the one conceived in her would be free from sin, free from condemnation, and be a holy human being here on earth. But not just a holy human being, his eternal son joined so that there's God-man in the one person, Jesus. And then at his baptism, when Jesus uh, comes up out of the water, the empowering of the son with the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit sent down upon him so that he could be the Messiah. So that he could be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. We think of God's secret work on Calvary. What strange work God was doing there. The Son taking upon himself our sins. He bore our sins in his own body to the tree. Your sins, my sins. Sins that had not yet been committed, yet he takes responsibility for them upon himself there on Calvary. Sins from all his people in the past generations. He brings them and gathers them in this legal condemnation of the Son. The sins are gathered there and judged there. It's, what more could God have done than he's done for the vine? gathered their sins upon his son and then the strange work of the, the father pouring out his righteous judgment against those sins in the person of his son so the son feels no guilt continues the consciousness of total innocence and yet he experiences in his consciousness the felt judgment against all those sins he's bearing my God, my God why have you forsaken me he feels it and it perplexes his soul because all he feels in his soul is innocence personally but he's feeling also the condemnation for the guilt of others and the punishment of it and it's all dealt with there. It is finished. And God raises his son uh, from the dead. What more could I have done for my vine and the vineyard? The vineyard which has been taken from the Jewish rulers and the Jewish people exclusively and expanded and given to all the nations to be part of. What more could have been done? The engrafting of an individual into Christ. Paul, uh, using a different uh, horticultural illustration, says you were a wild olive branch, but you've been uh, cut out of the wild olive and you've been grafted in to the true olive tree. Your, your branches grafted in. What more could be done? God has taken you and grafted you into Jesus Christ. What else, 
An astonishing thing. So that the very life of his son will then flow into you by the Spirit. What more could be done? The, the breaking of the power of sin. So we were in the, the realm of sin and death and under the condemnation of the law. And yet, by grace, we're taken out of that into this new world, the world of righteousness and peace with God and deliverance from the power of sin into uh, the life of Jesus Christ and the realm of grace. We stand in this grace. What more could be done? There was a, a watchtower built and God sends his spirit into our hearts as this guardian and comforter of our souls. What more could be done? He's opened the, the doors of heaven for us so that there's always access for us to the throne of grace so that we can find grace to help in time of need. There's so much provision for the vine. So much provision for the branches grafted into the vine. And we can only worship God for all that he has done. And then the second part of our text is a question. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And here comes the challenge. Some people are filling in their tax returns, uh, getting ready for the end of the financial year. There's going to be an inspection. Some people prepare their accounts for audit. Now just think of this. If God was to come and audit your life on its fruitfulness, the kind of fruit that you're bringing forth, when he comes to look and inspect your life, when he comes to look and expect, inspect my life, What's he looking for? Well, he's looking for his own likeness in us. Jesus is the perfect image of his Father. He is the true vine. He expects his own uh, vitality and life to be reproduced in the branches and in the fruit of the branches. This Christ-likeness, this Father-likeness, he comes to look and inspect what kind of fruit there is in our lives. And what is God going to see when he comes to inspect your life? Is it the beauty of Jesus? The sweet likeness to Jesus Christ? In thought, in word, in deed? That's what he's looking for. Righteousness, purity, joy in the Holy Spirit. And often he comes and we would all have to confess that the fruit of our lives would be the kind of fruit that the supermarkets would reject. No, no, no. We can't possibly put that on display. And the fruit of our lives we would say, well, we can't possibly have people look at that. And God looks. He says, why? Why? Why, when I've done so much for the vine and expected such beautiful fruit to the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father, why is it brought forth this bitterness, this resentment, this lack of purity peace and joy this anxiety and fear and why, why such a discrepancy between everything that's been done and the fruit that's been produced as Isaiah continues to expand his song with these woes it's because people have abandoned the way of the Lord, the truth of the Lord. 
And for us, why, why do our lives so often produce things that are not consistent with the vine? It's because we, instead of taking in the sap, as it were, of Christ and his life, instead of meditating upon Christ and becoming like him through that meditation upon him, we meditate upon so many other things. We fill our minds with other things. And those other things produce in us fruit that is contrary to the things of God. It's a very dangerous pathway to be taking. To claim, as it were, to be part of the vine, to claim to be a branch of the vine, and yet producing the kind of fruit that God doesn't want. You remember what he did to the vineyard? It's a warning to us. And so, for us, let's uh, rejoice in everything God has done to make us part of the eternal vine, God's vineyard, joining us to Jesus Christ. And so that we keep producing the kind of fruit that God wants, keep meditating on Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Study Jesus more and more. Keep reading the Word of God. Keep reading the Gospel. Keep getting a deeper understanding of the Gospel. Keep relying upon the Spirit that His ministry might bring the life of Christ into your soul, into my soul, and elevate Christ and glorify Christ. So the, the text. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it. Reflect on everything God has done to have a vine with branches. Reflect upon Jesus. Reflect upon the exodus, the transplantation, the sending forth of the Spirit. Reflect upon it. And praise God for it. And then accept the challenge God coming to inspect you. Inspect your life. Maybe he's coming today. Dinner time. Can have a look at you. Have a look at me. And we may have to do a lot of sorry telling and repenting. And he's a forgiving God. A wonderfully forgiving God. My father's a husbandman. He prunes can pray, please Lord God, come and prune and clean. May your word flow with its effective and fruitful ministry again. Wherefore, when I looked, should it bring forth wild grapes? Why? May our days of wild grape production cease. And may new days of fruitfulness uh, begin and continue. Amen. We're going to join and sing uh, 309, 309, Holy Spirit, Truth Divine, dawn upon this soul of mine, word of God and inward light, wake my spirit, clear my sight. Number 309.
gracious Father, we thank you that you have given your Son to achieve that great work of salvation. We thank you that you send your Spirit to apply the salvation that Christ has purchased. May we know your Spirit's work in our hearts, that our lives might be to the glory and honor of your Son and all that he has done. And may all be to your glory and praise and honor. May your grace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide on each and every one of us, now and forevermore. Amen.